The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. My father is a super competent guy who had been driving since he was 14. And I realized that I had not learned to drive in part because I had made myself uh, in his shadow and as well as in his, as in his light. I think we all do that with our, with our parents. By learning to drive, in a certain sense, I was trying to impress my father. But one of the things that learning to drive made me realize is that we never learn an accomplishment, skill, any kind of practice in an isolated way. We always learn it within the context of the other human beings with whom we associate it. And we can never uh, leave them out of our consciousness as we struggle with the task. Learning to drive is a rite of passage for American teenagers. Some don't pick it up until a little later, but after the age of 25, more than 90% of Americans have a license. For 50-year-olds, it's more like 95%. And then there's Adam Gopnik, my guest on today's episode of The Next Big Idea Daily. Adam has spent his adult years mostly in cities like Montreal, Paris, and mainly Manhattan, where piloting your own private vehicle around is optional, not to mention expensive, stressful, and a major hassle. So he never learned. But as the decades went by, Adam began to worry he was relying too much on his wife and others to shuttle him around. And when his son started taking driving lessons, Adam decided it was finally time. As he relates in his new book, The Real Work, The Mystery of Mastery, the process of learning to drive was both a lot easier and more terrifying than he expected. Driving, I realized, isn't really difficult. It's just extremely dangerous. You hit the gas and turn the wheel, and there you are, in possession of a two-ton weapon capable of being pointed at anything you like, at any speed you can go at, just by pressing a pedal a little bit harder. The poor people in the crosswalk, the guy in the tank top striding indifferently forward, the mother yanking at her child's hand, had no idea of the danger they were in with me behind the wheel. I had no idea of the danger I am in doing the same thing day after day. Cars are terrifying, and cars are normality itself. This discrepancy between difficulty and danger is our civilization's signature from machine guns to atomic bombs. You press a pedal and two ton of metal lurches down the city avenue. You pull a trigger and 20 enemies die. You waggle a button and cities burn. The point of living in a technologically advanced society is that minimal effort can produce maximal results. Making hard things easy is the path to convenience. It is also the lever of catastrophe. I guess, first of all, you have to explain to us at what age you undertook to learn to drive and why were you that age? I was 55 when I finally learned to drive. I had been sitting in, as my daughter would say, the gendered seat, the woman gendered seat of the car for a long time while my wife, Martha, did all the driving in our family life. And I was the one who was passing cookies to the back seat and saying, hey, kids, got to be a little quiet. Your, mo- your mom's trying to find the exit and all of those things that typically in our culture, uh, women, moms have done. 
And I loved it. And it was fine with that. I'm the cook of the house, so I don't mind uh, uh, that role one bit. But I realized that I was sort of imprisoned by my own inability to drive because it meant that even in the simplest task, I couldn't drive to the bakery on a summer morning to pick up cinnamon buns before Martha was awake. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, I, I didn't like being stuck in that role. So at the age of 55, I decided finally to learn to drive. Um, and what was sort of delicious about it was that my son, Luke, just in the normal course of things, was turning 20 that same year. And he had to learn to drive. He had to get his driver's license. So I think, so we went out and we studied driving with the same uh, inspired and, and eccentric driving instructor, Arturo Leon, together. And we ended up getting our licenses on the same day. What was rev- revelatory for me about driving, which I think you only could understand if you were older when you began it, is that driving is not, in fact, very difficult. It's just incredibly dangerous. It's shocking. I, I mean, I, I had this revelation recently when simultaneously trying to teach my teenage daughter to drive and trying to get my 86-year-old father to give up his driver's license. And it just did oh, seem yeah. crazy that we were letting all everybody drive these you know, several-ton weapons around on the streets. And we just accept this as as normal, but it's crazy when you stop and think about it. Absolutely. And, and 16-year-old kids are doing it and 88, 90-year-old yeah. <laughs> men are doing it. And you suddenly realize, this is a crazy way to organize our transportation. You've got this yeah. wild weapon. It, one of the things you do learn, Michael, it, is the positive side of it is that though we're, we're unfortunately, we have the tragic number of, of automobile accidents, the, for the most part, people manage to do this incredibly dangerous thing safely because we really are self-organizing societies, right? We tend to obey the red light and the stop sign when we see it, imperfectly, but we do. And on the whole, traffic proceeds. That's a positive thing about the self-organizing nature, I think, of, um, of human societies. The truth is one of the things that makes driving so dangerous is that each of us is locked into this little black box, literally, where we have a very hard time understanding that the person in the next car is just a human being like us. You know, it's something they always used to say about um, autistic kids is that they were mind blind. They couldn't understand that the person across from them had a mind exactly like theirs. Well, we're all mind blind when we're driving. We don't easily understand that the person in the next car is not a dangerous, lethal weapon, but is in fact a person like us. So we try to have a whole system of performance that reminds the person next to us that we are like them and struggling with the same things they are. Because, you know, if you think about it, one, you know, when we're walking down the street, we don't bump into each other mm-hmm. ever because we're constantly making eye contact. We're constantly communicating. And you have to communicate with a car in, in the same way if you're to drive safely. So I was really made aware of that whole performative aspect of it. I had to perform driving as much as I had to Learn driving, and I, I like the turn that you made personally as a you know longtime New Yorker and car critic. I think you know who had written about the destructiveness of of cars to to our society. But then you, you after driving for a little while, you come to to see driving as an act of citizenship in and of itself. You say it's the social contract at work at 40 miles per hour. Swerving and sliding over is citizenship. And I really thought it was a fascinating turn you made there. We're, we're in constant communication, using our lights, using the hand, using mm-hmm. all the things we have to say to somebody else, I'm going here, where are you going? Just mm-hmm. let me know where you're going and I will slide over and let you go there. Don't, don't 
press too hard. Let's have an atmosphere of mutual respect. Driving in that way is good citizenship, right? When you're trying to, you know, enter a, a freeway and the people who let you yield when you press all of those things, those are simple mechanical acts of civic virtue. The other thing about driving a car that was revelatory for me, and again, I think this is true about everything we learn, is that we come to everything we do with everything we are. And though I hadn't thought about it when I started to learn to drive, which was just focused on the cinnamon buns and my son, I realized that really the sub-theme of learning to drive for me was about my father. Because my father is a super competent guy who had been driving since he was 14. And though he's a professor of 18th century English literature, in some way he was defined by his driving. He was the guy who could drive everybody everywhere, drive 18 hours to see a new grandchild. And I realized that I had not learned to drive in part because I had made myself uh, in his shadow and as well as in his as in his light. I think we all do that with our with our parents. And as a consequence, I felt in a certain sense, he's got that covered. I am not that person. I have to become another person. I'm the guy who doesn't drive, but um, makes music and, mm-hmm. and cooks. And I think that by learning to drive, in a certain sense, I was trying to impress my father, mm-hmm. who frankly had always discouraged me from driving, thought I was too absent-minded and too abstract, too easily abstracted to do it. So I was trying to prove to him that I wasn't. But when I finally did, he wasn't particularly impressed. He just said, now you know how to drive. But one of the things that learning to drive made me realize is that we never learn an accomplishment, skill, any kind of practice in an isolated way. We always learn it within the context of the other human beings with whom we associate it. And we can never uh, leave them out of our consciousness as we struggle with the task. I tried to let my father into my body Mm. and become my father and remember what his body language was like and what his gestures were like. And I've copied them consciously and unconsciously, totally. I had to interject my father into my body in order to drive a car. Interesting to think that in our quest to get good at things, we're really never alone. We've always got teachers, advisors, role models. We're constantly patterning ourselves after someone, a YouTube expert, a sports icon, or maybe a parent. For Adam, it was his father who represented the art of driving. But for what he wanted to learn next, he'd have to turn to his mother, a woman so unusual, he says, that the word unusual is not unusual enough to describe her. Come back tomorrow to hear Adam's next attempt at midlife mastery. And for whatever it is you're trying to get good at, check out our Next Big Idea app. It's got tons of life lessons from masters of all kinds, accessible anytime right in your pocket. Until tomorrow, I'm Michael Kovnat.